In the previous section of 1 Thessalonians, Paul had reminded the Thessalonian church of his ministry among them. Although he, Timothy, and Silas had only spent three weeks in Thessalonica, the ministry of the Word, their ministry of the Word was not in vain. It had founded a church that was thriving in faith, hope, and love. It was a church that was fervent in evangelism and whose testimony was being spread throughout the whole world. It was a church that was the cause of much rejoicing and joy for the great Apostle Paul. Now, we might ask, why was this church growing like it was? Why was it a thriving and model church? Now, you might say, that's easy. It was because of its faithful ministers. Certainly under God's sovereign hand, the Thessalonian church was growing and bearing fruit because of the faithful sowing of the seed of the gospel by Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Paul, Timothy, and Silas had come into Thessalonica and had boldly proclaimed the word in the midst of much persecution. They had, they had come in not to seek to glorify themselves, but God. And with the gentleness of a mother and the example of a father, they had worked to the point of exhaustion to disciple each one of these believers so that they would live their lives worthy of the gospel. But a growing church is not only the result of faithful ministers who boldly share the gospel, but the growth of a church and the members of a church is also the result of the condition of the hearts of the people in that church. You see, as Jesus pointed out in one of his parables, a sower can faithfully sow the seed, and yet it can still have no effect. And this has nothing to do with the faithfulness or the skillfulness of the sower, but it has everything to do with the condition of the soil. A faithful sower can sow for years in a field, but if the hearts of people are as hard as cement, the word will not go in and it will not bear fruit. And Jesus said at the end of this parable, the parable of the sower, he said that we are responsible for the condition of our hearts. He said, be careful how you hear, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. In other words, you will only get out of the word what you take in and what you apply. You know, much of the lack of growth that we see is actually not because there is a lack of seed, but it's because of the condition of the soil. Now, the red dirt in Queensland is volcanic, and it's good for farming, and the Thessalonians' hearts was just like that. It was good soil, for the word had taken root in their hearts, and it was bearing a harvest. And after Paul, look down in your Bibles, after he reflects upon his ministry to them in verses 1 to 12 of chapter 2, he then remembers the way that they responded to his preaching in verses 13 to 16. Look down in verse 13. Paul says, And we also thank God constantly for this. Now you remember back in chapter 1, in verses 2 and 3, he thanked God for the faith and the hope and the love that he saw in this church. But he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that you received the word of God. Now as Paul said in chapter 1, the word came to them in the spirit and in power and with full conviction. But even though the word came to them in that manner, they were still responsible to receive the word. You see, because as I said, growth in a church is not only the result of faithful ministers who minister the word, but it's also the result of how people receive the word. 
And so today, we're going to look at how we should receive the word. How should you receive the word? Every time you hear a sermon preached, every time you go to a Bible study, every time you crack open the Bible, how should you receive that word? Well, first, we see that the Thessalonians heard the word. Notice in verse 13, Paul says, You received the word of God, which you heard from us. Just underline the word heard in your Bible. You know, the first step in receiving the word of God is you must hear the word of God. You must listen to the word of God. You know, a couple of years ago, I was reading a blog by a person here in Adelaide who was saying that we should abandon biblical preaching in our churches for a format of discussion and reflection. He was saying that we need to abandon the monologue for a dialogue. He was saying people nowadays, they don't want to be preached to, so we should get rid of biblical preaching. But if you get rid of biblical preaching, you get rid of God's voice in his church. You see, my main need and your main need this morning is not just to learn a few more things, but your need and my need is to hear the voice of Jesus piercing our darkness you see, by nature, we are all, we all proud and we all seek to justify our sin, and we don't like to submit to anyone. But the God-ordained means for converting sinners and maturing believers is His Word. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see that whenever God wants to work, what He will do is He will raise up preachers to communicate His Word. Right at the very beginning of the Bible, we see that God is the very first original preacher. He spoke and at the command of his voice, the world came into being. Then we come to Moses and the formation of the nation of Israel. And what was Moses? Moses was a preacher. The book of Deuteronomy is a sermon that Moses preached to the nation of Israel before they entered into the promised land. And then later in biblical history, God raised up preachers like Samuel and Nathan and Elijah, just to name a few. All godly men to whom the word of God came and who proclaimed that word to God's people. And then we come to the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus. And what did Jesus say that he came to do? Well, in Luke 5 and verse 43, after doing great miracles in Capernaum and being urged by the people to stay there, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for this is the purpose for which I was sent. Now, Jesus was sent to die on the cross for our sins, but he prioritized the preaching of the word over miracles. And then Jesus raised up 12 apostles and he empowered them by his spirit. And what were they? They were preachers. And on the day of Pentecost, the church came into being through what? Through a sermon, a spirit-inspired sermon. As John Calvin once said, the church is a creature of the word. She comes into being through the preaching of the word. In fact, I want to put forward to you that whenever the church has thrived in the history of the world, it has been because there has been a rediscovery of spirit-anointed, biblical, biblically faithful preaching. In the first great awakening in the United States, God raised up a man called Jonathan Edwards. In New England, many people were just going through the religious mo uh, motions. People attended church, but they were not really converted. And then Jonathan Edwards started to preach. And it was said that Jonathan Edwards had really thick rim glasses. He would read out his sermons in a monotone voice. But God attended his preaching. His most famous sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
a sermon that graphically depicts the future judgment of those who do not believe. Now, it was said that when he preached, the Spirit descended so powerfully upon the people that people in their seats wept aloud as the reality of judgment was made real to them. And the result was that thousands of people were converted. You see, Paul says in Romans 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a great verse, isn't it? If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But then Paul goes on to say, but how will they call on him in whom they have believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Do you see what Paul is saying? Without preaching, sinners cannot come and be converted. Preaching is the God-ordained means of converting sinners and maturing believers. So if you are going to receive the word, then the first thing you need to do is you need to hear the word. You need to put yourself in a position where you are regularly sitting under faithful biblical instruction, faithful biblical preaching. But not only did the Thessalonians receive the word because they heard the word, They also received the word, we are told, because they accepted the word into their hearts. Notice in verse 13, Paul says that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Now, the word accepted in Greek means to welcome. They not only heard the word, but they welcomed the word into their lives, and they accepted this word as being true, and they put themselves under the word of God. Now, why did they accept the word that they heard? Well, it was because of a certain conviction that they had about the preaching that they heard. Look down in verse 13 again. Paul says, when you received the word which you heard from us, you accepted it. And why did you accept it? Because you received it and you accepted it because it was not the word of men, but you accepted it as what it really is, the word of God. So they accepted the preaching of Paul, Timothy, and Silas because they recognized the divine origin of their message. God was speaking to them through the preaching. Now, should we accept all preaching today that we hear as being not from men, but from God? Well, not necessarily. You see, the reason that the apostles' preaching did not come from man, but came from God, is because he received his gospel by direct revelation from Christ himself as an apostle. As Paul said in Galatians 1 verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul received his gospel directly from Jesus himself. Now, no preacher today can claim that. No preacher today can claim that they received their message directly from Jesus. Rather, preaching today that is not from man but from God is preaching that comes out of the Bible. You see, whenever I prepare a sermon for you, what I am seeking to do is under the the empowering work of the Spirit, I'm seeking to study the Bible and find out why this text was written to its original audience. And then I seek to preach to you with full conviction in line with why that text was written so that that text will come to full bearing on your hearts. You know, unfortunately today, a lot of preaching that you hear nowadays is just the ideas of preachers. Preachers come with their own ideas or their own stories 
and they just look for verses that will back up their own ideas. And so it's not preaching that comes from God. It's just man-centered preaching. It's not powerful, authoritative preaching. It's not the sort of preaching that Martin Luther talked about. He said, when you preach, you just need to open the cage and let the word of God roar. It is a powerful lion. Now, let me teach you three theological words this morning that will help us with our discussion. I want to teach you some theology this morning. The first word I want to teach you is the word revelation, revelation. You know, if I wanted to know something about you as a person, I could learn certain things about you just by looking at you. Uh, And the same is true when it comes to God, is that we can learn certain things about God when we look out into creation. Uh, Romans 1, verse uh, 18, says that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So as we look out into creation and we look at creation, we can see that there is a creator. This is what theologians call general revelation. As Psalm 19, verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. As you look out into creation, you realize that there is a creator. But if I truly wanted to know you as a person, then I wouldn't just need to observe you from afar. I would also need to talk to you. And you would use words in order to disclose who you are and what you're like. You know, have you ever had a situation where you've observed someone from afar and you've had certain assumptions about who that person is? And then they open their mouth and you realize you are dead wrong. I don't know if you've seen that YouTube clip of that big muscly dude, and he's like, he's, he, and you have this assumption about what he's going to be like, and then he opens his mouth and he's like, hello, how you going? <laughs> you see, well, the same is true with God. If we are going to know anything about God, then God needs to speak. God needs to disclose himself to us. He needs to allow, he needs to speak to us and, so that we will know who this God actually is. And in the history of the world, God has spoken, not just through general revelation to all people, God has spoken through special revelation. He's given his message to prophets and apostles. The writer of the Hebrews puts it this way. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke his message. He revealed himself to the apostles and to the prophets. Now, is God speaking this way today? Should you have an open Bible where at the back you have loose pages and you can fill in those pages as God says more things about himself today? Well, the Mormon church, they believe that's true. But the writer of Hebrews, he goes on to say this. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, what does it say? He has spoken to us by his son. The culmination of the revelation of God was in Jesus and with the death of the last apostle who Christ appointed to be the conveyors of divine revelation, there is no more divine revelation being given. But this special revelation from God was then written down through the process of inspiration. And that's the second word that I want to teach you this morning, inspiration. So the apostles and prophets, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down the messages that were given to them from God, and they were collected, and through the process of canonization, you now have a Bible in your hands. 
You see, the Bible that you have in your hands didn't just drop out of heaven one day, leather-bound with maps and a concordance in the back. It didn't just, you know, Amazon didn't just, you know, deliver the Bible to the doorstep of the church one day. No, the Bible was written over a period of a thousand years by many different authors who received revelation from God and then inspired by God, they wrote that down in words and their very words were their words, but they were also the very words that God wanted them to write. And that is very, very significant people. So the Bible you have is much like the incarnation of Jesus. You know how Jesus was fully human and fully divine? Your Bible that you have in your hand is a fully human book, but it's a fully divine book. When you read the Bible, you will see the personality of the different authors in the Bible. For example, when you read, when you read Isaiah's prophecies, you read his soaring brilliance as he speaks about things to come. Uh, when you read um, Lamentations, you will feel the burden of Jeremiah over the nation of Israel. When you read David and the Psalms, you will read about his passion and his love for God. And so the Bible is both a fully human book and a fully divine book. It was authored by men, but it was authored by God, so that the very words themselves come from God. And so this is important, because where the Bible speaks, God speaks. Do you realize the privilege you have in your hand this morning? You have divine revelation from the Creator God. So that if you want to know something, if you want guidance, if you want truth, you can open up the Bible and you can read. You have a sure word from God, an authoritative word from God. You know, one of the most dramatic scenes of the Protestant Reformation was the 1521 trial of Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms. Luther was summoned to account for his writings that attacked the Roman Catholic doctrines of penance and purgatory and papal supremacy. Present at the council were cardinals, princes of the church, along with high secular princes. Presiding was no less than Charles V, the, the Holy Roman Emperor, who, had, who held the power to put Luther to death for his teaching. Not only was the death threat heavy in the air, but the likely method of execution would be public burning, as had been done to Luther's predecessor, John Huss, at the Council of Constance a hundred years before. Luther could not fail to be intimidated by the scene, and if the record of his prayer on the night before his final hearing is any indication, he was frightened. For this reason, Johann von Eck, the papal accuser, had high expectation for a triumphal humbling of the reformer and his doctrines. The preliminaries all complete and time for prayer and reflection having been given to the accused. And with the emperor and the cardinals bearing down on Luther, Eck pressed the final question. Will you recant? And Luther's bold answer consisted of these famous words. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they often err and contradict each other, I am bound to the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand, may God help me, amen. 
You see, what was it that enabled this monk to stand up unmoved in, such, in, in the culture of his time? It was his conviction that the Bible is the Word of God, that where the Bible speaks, God speaks. But it's one thing to have this conviction confessionally that the Bible is God's Word. It's another thing to have this conviction functionally in our lives. You see, the main reason that we have a problem in the church nowadays is why we confessionally believe that the Bible is God's Word. Functionally, we don't live life like it. You see this kind of thing all the time. People will say, I know that the Bible teaches that there are different roles in marriage, that men are to be loving servant leaders, and that wives are to submit to their husbands. But the Bible was written within a hierarchical culture, and so we can't expect the same principles to apply to us today. And so we just ignore the teaching of the Bible. So confessionally, we say that the Bible is the Word of God, but functionally, we put our own ideas and our own cultural sensibilities above the Bible. But you see, if the Bible is authored by God, then where the Bible speaks, God speaks. And if it's authored by God, it is timeless truth. It is true not only in the time of the apostles and not only in the time of Luther. It is true today. And even though it might offend our 21st century sensibilities, if you come to embrace the truth, the truth will set you free. Amen? And it was the timeless truth of the Bible embraced by Christians that have changed society. You know, everyone in the 17th and 18th century believed that slavery was a good thing. It was a good thing for the economy, and it probably was. But it was the timeless truth that all men of the Bible, that all men are created equal by God, that led William Wilberforce to stand alone and to stand against the evil of slavery. Now, the third theological word that I want to teach you this morning is the word illumination. I've taught you the word revelation, and I've taught you the word inspiration. I now want to teach you the word illumination. And you see, what the Holy Spirit does now is that He takes the written word, and He illuminates it in our hearts so that we understand its implications for us today. Now, this is so important because I know many of you were raised in traditions where it's very popular for you to say, well, God told me this, or God said this to me. And maybe in some of the churches that you actually were in, there were people who claimed to be prophets, who claimed to receive direct revelation from God. Now, as I said, I don't think anyone today can claim to be an uppercase prophet someone receiving direct revelation from God. And I'm not saying that God doesn't move in our hearts in a very personal way. I know when people talk about how God spoke to them, and when I use that language as well, what I'm meaning is, is I'm not meaning that God guided me into new truth. He just took His truth and He illuminated it to me in a very personal way. You know, if, God, if you feel like God is telling you to go and talk to your neighbor about Jesus, let me tell you, that's not a new truth. That's something you could find on the pages of the Bible. And I do believe, while I don't believe in uppercase prophecy today, I do believe in lowercase p prophecy. Preachers who under the power of the Holy Spirit, they take the Word of God and they seek to apply it to your life in the power of the Spirit so that when you hear that preaching, you hear the voice of Jesus speaking to you. 
But as Paul says in Romans 12, if you are a prophet or a preacher, you need to prophesy in proportion to the faith, in proportion to the faith that Jude says that was handed down once for all. And you see, the reason I'm saying this to you is because there are many people preaching out there. And a lot of it is a whole heap of rubbish. And as you listen to preaching, you need to hold the Bible in one hand and be filtering everything they say through the Bible. But then, through the other hand, you need to have an open heart to hear what God is saying to you. You see, as I said, when I come to prepare messages for you, I do what Paul says in 2 Timothy. He says, study to find yourself approved. I work when I come to the Scriptures. I dig deep into the culture. I dig deep into the exegesis. I dig deep into the Word. Because that's where the power lies. That's where the authority lies. And then under the power of the Holy Spirit, I seek to bring a live Word to you this morning. So that God will speak to you. And you see, the most important thing is actually not the preacher, it's actually the Word of God. That's the most important thing. You know, one of the beautiful things about like having the cafe that we're doing now is that, you know, we have multiple preachers on a Sunday morning, and so you're being weaned off me. <laughs> and this is good, because it's not about me, it's about the Word, the Word of God. You know, in, in England, in, there, was, there was these two preachers. There was this unnamed preacher and C.H. Spurgeon. And everyone used to come out of this unnamed preacher and they used to say, what a great preacher he is. But when they heard C.H. Spurgeon preach, they would say, what a great God we serve. You see, what should happen when you hear a preacher is when they unpack the Word of God to you, the written Word of God, you should come in contact with the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus and so the preacher fades into the background, and it's not about their stories, it's not about how clever they are, it's not about how funny they are, it's not about any of those things, it's about the Word. It's true. Where it speaks, God speaks. What a privilege you have this morning to hear the Word of God taught, what a privilege. There are people all around the world who don't have the Bible in their own language, there are people around the world and people groups around the world who are yet to have preachers sent to them and you get that every single week. What a privilege that you have. What a privilege that we have. But you see, preaching will only do you any good if you hear the Word and then you accept the Word. You see it as coming from God and you place yourself under its authority. I was talking to Ian, actually last night, I think, Ian, when we were talking about this, I was talking about how when I went to university when I was 18, I came back from university with all these funny ideas about things, because that's what happens at university, they fill your mind with some ideas, and I went and spoke, it was the, like the very first, I think, um, I came back from university, it was the very first like university break, and I was talking to my dad, and I was spouting off all of these ideas about various things, and my dad was just looking at me, and he was patient, because he's a godly man, he was just patient with me. And I had a, some real trouble with some parts of the, of the Bible, and maybe you're the same, maybe you have some real trouble with parts of the Bible, right? Like what the Bible teaches about sexuality, what the Bible teaches about marriage, and all of those sorts of things. 
you have a real trouble with those things. But let me tell you what happened to me. Is when I came in contact with Jesus, the living word, and then I placed and submitted myself and surrendered myself under him, the living word, I had no trouble with the written word. I had no trouble with the written word. Because often the problem is in our hearts. We don't want to submit. We don't want to surrender to God. And so that's why we struggle with the word. We struggle with the word of God. But if you're going to grow, you need to hear the word. You need to accept the word. Thirdly, you need to believe the word. Notice in verse 13, it says, You did not accept it as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. In order for the word to work, you actually need to exercise faith. You need to believe the word. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer to Hebrews says about this generation of Israel that didn't go into the promised land. He said, they had a gospel preached to them just as you had a gospel preached to you. But the gospel that preached to them was of no benefit for them because they did not combine the gospel with faith. And you can hear the word and you can accept the word, but unless you apply your faith to the word, you will not grow. And faith in the word will lead to obedience which will lead to life change. So the Thessalonians, they heard the word, they accepted the word, they believed the word, and then finally, they persevered in the word. We're told right at the end in verses 14 to 16, just put up the reference so I can read it out, is for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. I find this absolutely fascinating, guys. Just listen to me, listen to me this morning. I find this absolutely fascinating that um, here are believers in Thessalonica and believers in Judea, completely, completely opposite parts of the world, completely different cultural dynamics. They're Gentiles, these people are Jewish, completely different parts of the world. But when the word comes, they get transformed and they are now the same. Have you ever seen that happen? You meet people all around the world who are Christians and then when you talk to them, they have the same faith that you have but they were persevering, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as to always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. They persevered in the midst of persecution. Do you know, the evidence that you are a Christian is not found that you raised your hand or you went forward and made a decision. That's not the evidence that you're a Christian. The evidence that you're a Christian is you are persevering with the Word. You are still walking with Jesus in faith and obedience. You know, um, I was reading this book by Charles Spurgeon called Soul Winner. And all the time I see this on Facebook, people talking about how many decisions they had at their church this morning. We had this many decisions. We had that many decisions. This is what Spurgeon says. He says, after all, what do these reports from the battlefield mean? In his time, the Methodists were constantly bragging about their success. Last night, 14 souls were under conviction. 15 were justified and eight received full sanctification. Spurgeon writes, I am weary of this public bragging, this counting of unhatched chickens, this exhibit exhibition of doubtful spoils. Lay aside such numbering of the people 
an idle pretense of certifying in half a minute that which will need the testing of a lifetime. Hope for the best, but at the height of your enthusiasm, be reasonable. Inquiry rooms are well and good. Inquiry rooms are where people would come afterwards to inquire about the faith. He says they're well and good, but if they lead to idle boasting, they will grieve the Holy Spirit and work abounding evil. You see, the demonstration that the word has come to you is not just that moment when you believe it, but that you continue to believe it. You continue to persevere. And persevering in the word is very important because, let me tell you something, is sometimes in your life, the blessing of obedience does not show up straight away. There's this principle of the harvest. Let me teach it to you. You do not reap in the same season that you sow. When we used to sow watermelons, we used to reap them uh, in autumn, I think, sometime, I don't remember, (laughs) but we used to actually harvest them at summertime, watermelons. And for long periods of time, when you sowed that seed, it didn't seem like anything was happening, but over time, as we continued to water the seed and cultivate the seed, eventually, life would push through the ground and fruit would be born. And you see, your life right now, (laughs) you are reaping what you've sown in the past, either good or bad. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows or person sows, that they shall also reap. See, if you want to grow in the Word, as we've been talking about this morning, getting up every day and reading soaps, there are some days when you won't feel like it. I'm sure that's, that's how it is for you, Helen, isn't it? Some days you wake up and you don't feel like reading the Word. But you do it anyway, and over the long haul, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. That's why in receiving the Word, you not only need to hear the Word, accept the Word, believe the Word, but persevere in obedience despite the hardship, and you will see growth in your life, growth in your life. There was once a Chinese man named Xiao Hong. He lived in Germany with his wife, Kristen. Xiao was a Buddhist and his wife an unbeliever. Wanting a special birthday gift for her husband, Christian bought a book written in Chinese, sought a book written in Chinese. But the only such book that she could find was a Chinese translation of the Bible. Displeased by her options, she nonetheless bought the Bible, hoping that her husband would appreciate the gesture after all. Xiao was not pleased to receive the Bible, (laughs) but longing for his native tongue, he began reading it anyway. As he did so, he began to be struck by the truth revealed in the Bible's pages. Before long, he was persuaded and began believing God's Word. This, in turn, displeased his wife, Christian, since she was a Westerner who had rejected Christianity. But as they came into conflict over the book, Christian began to read it, simply to argue more effectively against her husband. In the process, she was also persuaded and became a believer in Jesus. Before long, they began studying their Chinese Bible together and grew in faith. Soon they recognized that they needed fellowship and the support of other believers, so they attended a faithful Bible church where they heard the preaching of God's Word. God's Word is powerful. But you have to be careful how you hear. And I just wonder this morning, 
Is your heart soft to receive the word? Or this morning, will, your, will the word come and fall on a hard heart and the devil will come and snatch it away? Will it hit shallow ground and it will spring up quickly but it will have no root and it won't persevere and change you? Will the word hit you this morning but you'll go out from this place and the worries and cares of your life, the exhaustion of our culture will get to you and so the word you've heard this morning will do you no good? Or will you this morning receive the word Accept the word, believe the word, and persevere, and reap a harvest in your life. Father, we just come before you this morning. We thank you for the power of God's word, and the truth of God's word, as it's been proclaimed this morning. Lord, we know that we often can make up ideas about you. And our ideas about you are based upon our own assumptions of how we think you are. But the only place to really go and discover who you really are is from your word, that self-disclosure of who you are. And we thank you that you have been so gracious to us that you have disclosed yourself to us through revelation, through, and then inspired people to write that revelation down so that we have a sure word from you today. And we recognize that you are way more holy than we could ever imagine. That you are a holy God who cannot look on unholiness. But Lord, we thank you also that you are way more gracious than we ever imagined, way more loving, that you would send your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that we might be ransomed back to you and brought back into a relationship with you. And Lord, I know that through the word this morning, you were speaking by your spirit and I pray Lord, that you would open hearts to believe your word right now for your glory and honor. And in Jesus' name I pray.